0: your host, Nathan Bartlebaugh, and this is the Phantom Galaxy. I'm joined tonight with Seth Dombach. Seth, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great tonight, Nathan.
0: And uh, tonight we have a, a kind of a fun episode for you. It's, uh, it's funny because this is probably everything that we had originally planned is going to probably end up being a couple of different episodes. Uh, I couldn't <laughs> quite orchestrate getting everybody together, uh, but... We do have uh, something fun tonight. We're going to have a little bit of news and just kind of uh, talk about a couple things that are that are coming up and happening right now. Uh, we've got a couple things going on in the uh, geek world, so to speak. We have Comic-Con and things like that happening. So there's a lot of trailers. There's a lot of news that's on the horizon. And uh, also, tonight we are going to be talking about the new movie Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets which I saw last night, which opens by the time this podcast is up. It will be out in theaters. Uh, And that's a new movie by Luc Besson, and it's based off of a French comic book, a pretty old French comic book that's influenced pretty much everything from Star Wars to half the movies Luc Besson has made. And then uh, a good part of this I think I want to spend talking just about uh, Besson's career and also the movie that this most closely resembles, which is The Fifth Element, which uh, I'm a huge fan of and Seth I know you are too. So Definitely. um should be a good time. So let's go ahead and get started. Anything interesting or uh noteworthy on the horizon for you in regards to science fiction, fantasy, horror?
1: Uh, one, one thing, it's kind of not even in any of those genres, unfortunately, but the, <laughs> the one thing that's really, well, there are two, actually, and one does fit this. The first one being the trailer for The Disaster Artist, the movie based around the book written by uh, Greg Sestero, who was uh, part of the movie The Room, um, but this is going to star James Franco and Seth Rogen. And where they're kind of showing you, like, behind the scenes of how that movie was made. And and Nathan and I both love, like, really... Bad B-movies and that movie's probably a Z movie um so I from what I've seen on the trailer that one looks pretty interesting to me um and then the other trailer I think we should probably talk about too is The Shape of Water the newest film by uh, Guillermo del Toro which we can both agree on looks like a mix between uh an Abe Sapien backstory or uh The Creature from the Black Lagoon (laughs) so first off Nathan what did you what did you think of the uh Disaster Artist trailer?
0: Well, and the, and I don't know – I think you mentioned it in there, but it is – it's based off the making of the movie The Room by a would-be <laughs> film artist named Tommy Wissall who th- – I remember when The Room came out, and I remember it being on everyone's radar, and I watched it under weird circumstances because I didn't have enough information at the time to realize that it was kind of becoming noteworthy because of how horrible it was. Right. I went into it watching it, and maybe this is how you probably should have seen it, uh, I went in watching it thinking it was a legitimate attempt at like an independent art film, meaning <laughs> that this was something serious. I was thinking, honestly, you know, we talk a lot about Lynch, we've got a, a Lynch podcast coming up. The description sounded so basic and so rote, the description of the film, it sounded so blasé that I was thinking this must be some sort of surrealism or something walking into it again maybe not on like a lynch film or some kind of movie that wants to play with tropes and then i'm watching it unfold and it's really it's ed wood levels of bad yeah it's worse than ed wood actually because there's a certain pretentious nature to the tommy whistle character who thinks he's making this like heartfelt drama (laughs) i hope it's not but it feels like it might be autobiographical and uh not a lot really happens i think he thinks a lot happens i mean it comes down to him being a jerk to his girlfriend (laughs) i mean is there a better way really to describe what happens in this movie (laughs) probably not there's not there's not have you seen it yes yeah it's 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 attempting to be like a slice of life but it has no character development so to speak Those character's well, Saul can't even remember his lines. Which is kind of the joke that's that's uh spoofed in the trailer. And the lines are completely inane. Yeah. Uh it's like he's struggling to just get which is strange, this is supposed to be a passion project, but he seems to be his own worst star (laughs) like he can't he can't direct himself he can't act for himself directing himself
1: it's it, it it literally seems it seems like something like an alien would write that was trying to like figure out what what dramas would be written by people
0: that's an excellent way to describe it and that's why i really don't like find it so strange to include in something like this because it it does feel very alien. It does feel strange. I think that's what draws people to it a little bit is because I've talked to lots of different people about the idea of like what makes a good, so-called good-bad movie. This is not a good-bad movie. This is a, no. I say awesome, but I mean it in the actual term of awesome. Like It's just kind of jaw-dropping in how bizarre it is because you realize that pe- that someone making this film... <laughs> Really thought they had something. Really wanted to put their all into it. I mean, this is this is beyond Troll 2. This is beyond... And most of those movies had a veneer of yeah. schlock. You know, that comes with the territory that sometimes it's fun to be bad. We know our costumes aren't great. We know right. our monsters don't look good. We're just going to go out and have fun because people like the horror genre. That's not right. what's happening in the room. And so it's probably very fertile ground for a comedy because this comedy is going to be from the perspective yeah. of sort of looking at Tommy was saw. And kind of being in on the joke. Now, I will tell you, uh, the involvement of Seth Rogen does not really bolster my confidence. I'm not really a huge Rogen fan, even seeing him in the trailer. I do have, I, I will say, Frank has got his mannerisms down perfectly. That looks really good. But I am a little concerned of, of Rogen yeah. taking maybe the low road here. I don't know how much he's involved in it. Um, is he writing it or directing it
1: I don't think so
0: That's probably a good sign Although I will say he's been writing and doing work on the preacher TV show and he's kept himself mostly together there So uh, but my concern is if it becomes fish in a barrel it's just not going to be a very interesting movie yeah. If it's made, I think because the room satirizes itself
1: Oh this uh, is actually this it's is actually an... going to be directed by James Franco but it's written by Michael Weber who did uh, 500 Days of Summer and Scott newtstetter i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing that right he also wrote uh the fault in our stars oh and this gives me a lot of hope the pink panther too so,
0: so scott nutstetter is doing the
1: uh, <laughs> is doing this is there a pink panther too uh yes the uh the, no, we're talking about the steve martin pink panther not the uh, i was stellar. not
0: aware <laughs> that there was an actual sequel to the steve martin movie that that in and of itself is impressive um well, it's funny too, because so you mentioned so disaster artist it being a behind the scenes look in it's space off a book, I do have the feeling I wonder if it's not better just to read the book <laughs> yeah, but I am intrigued by it. I agree it seems like it could be an interesting movie uh there's a couple other trailers uh that we could we could talk about I'd like to get to the shape of water, although um probably worth mentioning two things i saw that there's an and i don't know if you ever read this book growing up the wrinkle in time do you remember this
1: yeah i did i actually just reread that book not long ago to my daughter
0: yeah how did it hold up i remember enjoying it when i read it as a kid but i and i remember some of the other books at one point i think they meet noah it got a little weird there yeah
1: it, it does get very strange i think i think there's a few sequels to that too but i don't remember reading them or much about them
0: I remember Wind in the Door because it had the strangest cover. That's it was right, a series yeah. of wings with eyes in the middle, in the middle of like a forest. Uh, Madeline Lingo is the author. And I do, I like, now did it hold up? Did your daughter enjoy it?
1: Yeah, she liked it. Yeah, I, I, it's, I think it's a short enough book to keep their attention. She's eight, so I, I think that's probably about the, the right time for that book. I, I think I read it when I was maybe like six years old. I, I remember liking it as a kid.
0: I didn't like. But it looks like they're going an
1: interesting direction with this new one. With with the new one, then I I think it looks decent from what I've seen so far.
0: Yeah, the trailer. I actually. I mean, it it's very a lot of costumes and special effects. I like that Chris Pine's in it. It's an interesting cast. I mean, like Oprah's in it and. Uh, You have Reese Witherspoon, but visually it's hard to really tell because these things are usually packaged in a relatively safe way from the Disney brand, you know? So it's hard to tell if you've got something really interesting or they're just trying to package it like a Narnia. I know Madam Madeline Lingle tends to be an author that like, uh, can sometimes be put in that kind of Christian fantasy bubble along with C.S. Lewis and, and Tolkien who, I mean one could argue whether they should all three be together or not, but uh so there it seems like the trailer is definitely trying to hit that like fans of Narnia but this wouldn't be the first time that Disney's marketed a movie in a sort of softball way. Uh in 2007 I really liked their version of Bridge to Terabithia.
1: Yeah, I thought that was great.
0: Yeah, it was a great movie, but the trailer uh, if you had read the book oh, growing yeah. up, you knew, like, hey, man, some kids are going to be crying. Uh, and I remember being at theater, and I remember walking out, and this little boy coming to his dad tears streaming down. I was like,
1: Dad, I love you. I was like, yeah, there you go.
0: Fear of death. Yeah, and I would
1: not, not read the books, and I was uh, definitely devastated by that ending. It's a great movie, though. But yeah.
0: that if you watch the trailers, it shows children fighting fantasy monsters. And it looks like it looks like the dark is rising or something and you don't get any kind of hint of what's coming. And and we, we, I think it's fair to say, A Wrinkle in Time is a far, far more complex book yeah. than what the trailers are selling us. But I like some of the images, and I I think I texted you because this is the other trailer I want to talk about. There's elements in that Wrinkle in Time trailer where I'm like, wow, this looks like more of a Dark Tower movie. Yeah, than the Dark Tower movie that's coming because at least in A Wrinkle in Time, you get some of these. You can see this trailer and see that okay, they're jumping through dimensions, and some of these worlds look different. And there's a sort of kind of Awe, awe and alien sort of feel to it. I mean it's still within the normal CGI realms of what you'd expect, but I'm yeah. watching it and I'm thinking this is what I wanted to kind of see. You know, I wanted a mid world that looks uh interesting or alien, which brings us yeah. to everything we've seen for the Dark Tower, which <laughs> it's so strange to me that in about two weeks we're gonna have a Dark Tower movie. I, in yeah. Theaters. I, it doesn't feel real. It I, doesn't, and it else. Oh, there's another bad reason for that. <laughs> which is i i still don't feel like in two weeks and i don't mean this like a denial thing i don't think in two weeks we're really getting a dark tower movie no. I, i'm hoping to be proven wrong the only real thing standing in my way at this point is that stephen king is assuring us that this is a great movie and a great adaptation yeah some people might say well hey who better than the man himself to judge but i don't know and maybe you can uh, clarify this because you might you might be more aware, but I feel like King often at least on the initial release maybe The Shining is the one notable example, mm-hmm. King always seems to love the stuff made from his, his books. He does. Like at least initially. Yeah. I feel like what he looks for in an adaptation is not what a fan is necessarily looking for in no. an adaptation. Now that being said one of the things King does seem to appreciate in adaptations is the level of faithfulness to his book so i'm Great. wondering how that's going to play out here and i think it's worth taking a couple minutes because it is an odd it's an odd sort of thing because i saw these trailers we talked about this on the podcast i don't i don't know if you're wrong but we've talked about how it just looks like a generic fantasy movie yeah. so far unless you really know what's going on and this is a minor spoilers uh maybe bit major spoilers i guess If you haven't read the books, um, I'm just going to mention vaguely. So if you want to hop forward a minute, that's fine. But we've heard King say, and I think it is clear to some degree, this is due to the way the dark tower series plays out. This is a little bit, possibly it's a sequel and not just a straight remake. I think that's the only thing that still has me interested in it.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's, that's at least how they're kind of getting around some of the problems that I'm seeing with this. Um, Yeah, it's. I I should definitely mention that Nathan and I are, you know, really big fans of the Dark Tower series. So I think you know this. This kind of we're we're gonna put a little bit more scrutiny on this because this is this is something I've said from the beginning after i have read you know the, the entire series is like this is something i don't think they should ever try to make a film adaptation adaptation of because there's so much going on in it. it's such a weird and strange world especially what happens towards some of the later books like i don't know how they can make it work in a film version and from what i've seen from all the trailers and featurettes and things like that at this point i yeah, what i'm seeing is not giving me any confidence <laughs> at least
0: well, that's the thing that really boggles the mind here with this is we've been trying to see this thing for years. I mean, Ron Howard's tried to get off the ground. J.J. Abrams at different points. What I don't understand, what I can't quite wrap my head around, and you'll probably agree with me on this, is, yeah, a lot of people have said Dark Tower is unfilmable. We have a relatively successful version of Garth Ennis's Preacher on <laughs> AMC, not even on on Premium right now. Yeah playing and doing successful of preacher now if you give me a more unfilmable story than preacher you know what i mean in terms of like tone content material i mean the entire thing game of thrones uh honestly like some of this stuff just doesn't it's so dense it was never gonna be good as a movie so you have a Westworld on HBO. I mean, and you've got the Western thing proven there, and Preacher's a neo-Western. I don't know why, when you real, when you have the option, and I know HBO, I think trying to get off the ground, but like, you've had the option to make a mini series or a series. It's a full blown series out of this. You have more than enough material. Yeah. Why would you not go that route? I mean, net Netflix couldn't. Play- I mean, I just watched a trailer for a movie called Bright that they've seemed to dump a ton of money into that David Ayers is making where Will Smith is like a modern-day cop fighting ogres. Oh, yeah. And his partner is like an ogre. It doesn't really look – And Joel Ledgerton plays the ogre. It doesn't look very good, but they've dumped a ton of money into it. With this sort of thing happening, why is it that we're getting a movie that looks like the fantasy leftovers of 1999? I know, I know. You know, I mean, the special effects look okay and everything. I, but I'm, and I love Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey. Did you watch the latest? There was a, uh, there, there was a trailer that came out. or it wasn't a trailer so much as it, uh, what was it called? It was like, like a featurette uh, or basic, something. A featurette. It was kind of like trying to pump it up, show that Stephen King's on board. Yeah. And uh, it's basically talking about how this is really his like masterwork, you know? Yeah. And In the trailer, it's not that much of a trailer. There's some scenes. It just doesn't. Can you tell me what's going on when Matthew McConaughey fires up some sort of like weapon and fires it like he's aiming the Death Star at the tower?
1: Well, is that from the? the... No, that's not from the books at all. Because (laughs) with with the tower, it's connected to these different beams, which kind of hold up the different realities or different worlds. Yeah, and. In the book, like they use these people who are like, and we psychics, could probably,
0: like, yeah, they call them the breakers, breakers, or whatever. right? Yeah,
1: so yeah, this that and that just like speaks so much to a lot of the problems I'm having with this, and you know, I have no problem with. The, the casting of Idris Elba as Roland. I mean, it was a little off to me at first, just because there's so many themes about race that become you know with Roland in the books with Susanna, but I don't even know if we're gonna see a Susanna in, in, in this uh, this movie or not. Well, I wonder um,
0: in the concept of it being a sequel, if there's some reasoning to why he is possibly a different race, like you know the right like yeah. where this is. We've made some basic assumptions about where the story goes, and that there is a you know about the cyclical nature of things. But maybe that – if they if they do actually delve into that and don't just use it as a cheap sort of out, it could be interesting. I agree with you. I don't really care except that like you said, it's just one more thing that proves that they aren't really interested in making a version of the books. But I'm – it's not so much that I'm not getting the exact version that King did. It's just that what we are seeing has none of the earmarks of what I loved about the books. Right. And I think that that's a yeah. bigger issue when – when a when a fan of something is saying, "I don't see the thing I love in here," that's different than saying, "Well, they didn't cross every T and dot every I, and they don't have the right color shoes on this character." That's not what I think people are or concerned about here. Yeah. They're concerned that the essence of this story, which is really a like multi-dimensional road trip, if you will. I mean, in some ways, it's a it's a journey, uh, just like any other like classic journey. And it involves a group of characters headed somewhere and you really get to know those characters. And that's the that's the element that I'm concerned about. The other news that we just got is it's ninety five minutes long. Yeah. And and I'm also thinking, in ninety five minutes, what can you do? And a lot of that comes down to because King put up a, a, a tweet today that says yeah, the that. effect of like, Hey, it's mean and lean, just like the original book, all all killer, no filler, and it's like that's great, but we know in the trailer that we have, I've seen events from at least 3 of these books. Right. And is are we really getting all killer no filler? If I would agree, an hour and a half would perfectly serve the story that exists in the first Gunslinger book. Yeah. But I can absolutely tell I don't actually see anything from the <laughs> no. first book in the trailer. And 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 a lot of things that I see feel very homogenized. Yeah. They're very much reduced to sound bites to bits the 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 randall flag character i see presented here feels like a bond villain he doesn't uh, again shooting the laser (laughs) weapon at the tower or whatever maybe maybe i'm completely off maybe what i'm seeing there is not what i think i'm seeing i have knowing that kiva goldsman is involved in this (laughs) right i'm thinking that maybe it is what i think i'm seeing i i mean there seems like the people who are involved in it have real passion for it so that makes me curious why someone would sign on for something that's just so far, far from the books. That's not to say it is. I mean, at this point, I think I told you, this will be my biggest surprise yeah. <laughs> and joy of the summer if it just manages not to be a horrible piece of garbage.
1: Yeah, I, you you definitely hit the nail on the head there. Like, when they had first talked about doing a um, a remake of The Stand, and I'd heard people mention McConaughey as, as being flag, and I thought that was like incredible casting because if you've if you've ever seen the movie killer joe like i thought that was like the most perfect like on-screen version of flag i'd ever seen but in this it's like you said it seems like he's just a generic villain he's just the bad guy and yeah he's a bad guy but there's a lot more depth to the character in the books even just in the first in the gunslinger you know, there's an entire scene where when they finally do meet up, it's not like a battle of guns. Like, he, he gives Roland kind of like a metaphysical view of the entire universe around him. You know, and that, that's the thing that really drew me to the it's character. Like when,
0: it's like when God meets Job at the end of the book. Right. Job. <laughs> exactly. It's very yeah. bizarre. It's strange in the same way that that is strange. And uh, it's, it's an interesting. I mean, I would recommend the book, obviously. I'd recommend all the books. The books, to be fair, the the quality starts to waver about uh, a little bit over midway through. Yeah, I think um, I know that they're talking about doing a wizard in glass sort of the stories. That was the fourth book. Yeah, and a lot of that book is is kind of centered on a Roland's past. It might. I also am not quite sure how they're going to do that with Idris Elba still on yeah, board because right. Roland's clearly much younger. So I'm not sure about all of this and how it's going to tie in, but. They're making franchise plans without necessarily having proved themselves on a first film. Yeah. Um, that being said, and the last thing I will I'll leave with this is, yeah, I think everyone's hesitant about this. We've heard very little. It's bizarre in some ways that if the movie's so good, uh, you would think they'd want to get it out there in front of people. Yeah. Uh, because if 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 King is if it's as good as King says it is, which, again, I have some serious doubts about that. <laughs> I, a key Stephen King... I I love Stephen King. We're in fact about to start very soon, uh, starting next week, a whole series on Stephen King and his adaptations and and comparing his adaptations to the actual books. I know you and I are both big fans, but yeah, his his thoughts on film are sometimes a little wobbly. <laughs> I, he loved Hostel too. I'll leave it I'll leave it at, leave it yeah. at that. And. Yeah. Um,
1: I never would have thought that in a year of multiple Stephen King remakes that I would be more excited for an It remake than I would be for a Dark Tower film.
0: And I think that comes down to when you watch the It remake, you see something you instantly recognize if you've read the books. Yeah. And when you look at the Dark Tower, you don't see that. Um, I'm more interested for Mr. Mercedes on television, honestly, (laughs) than I am for this, and we can leave that where it is. But but in a sense, I'm not, because this is going to be one of those events that, like, it's still going to be interesting to go see. Like, even if it's horrible, there's still going to be something to be said about sitting down in a theater and knowing you're watching The Dark Tower. Right. And if if it manages to even a little bit, even with flaws, if it does try to engage the story, if it tries to engage the person who knows this material, I actually might end up liking it a little bit. I mean, I think everyone... The thing is here, people aren't going to go into this wanting to slam it. They're going to want in. I mean, they're going to want to love it. I just have doubts that they will.
1: Yeah, yeah. We'll see pretty soon.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we will. Uh, So, yeah, let's quickly talk about Del Toro's new movie, The Shape of Water. Uh, I'm still – I just watched this trailer again. I watched it with my wife. It's funny because I came home from the movie last night and my wife says, I saw a new trailer for a movie I want to see. And I was like, is it called The Shape of Water? And she's like, yeah, how'd you know? I was like, because I watched it and thought, hey, it's a movie you'll probably want to see. Uh, it's like, it was either that or The Snowman. and yeah. <laughs> Not that The Snowman doesn't look interesting, but I think Bloody head, bloody Snowman <laughs> yeah. head was put Jen off a little bit. So in, uh, in, this trailer you do there's a really kind of weird city of lost children vibe to the visuals it definitely looks like he's more in that vein of pan's labyrinth than say pacific rim yeah which they also have a teaser out for which looks dreadful um (laughs) for pacific rim uprising so uh it doesn't look good but shape of water on the other hand looks like it's del toro in his element which is to say he's always i like him better when he does the smaller films I'm um, yeah, yeah, a big definitely. fan of the whole sort of trilogy of his um, uh, foreign language films, which were Chronos, The Devil's Backbone, especially The Devil's Backbone. That's yeah, my favorite. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I, I love Pan's Labyrinth, but I think Devil's Backbone is a little bit better. Uh, yeah. Mostly, I think because it feels just a little bit more organic. Like he doesn't, he doesn't seem to be tr- pushing as hard as he is in some points. Pan's Labyrinth. That's not to say Pan's Labyrinth is not a great movie because I, I think it is. Um, but everything else I enjoy his things like Hellboy and his action oriented movies, but it's this sort of thing that I think he does well. Yeah. I will say I wasn't a huge, huge fan of Crimson Peak. However, it was, it was better
1: than I thought it was going to be like from the trailer. I thought it was going to be awful, but it had moments I enjoyed, but yeah, it's it's very
0: visually opulent. It's great to look at. It's a fun Gothic ghost story, but there's not a lot of meat on the bones there doesn't necessarily seem to be a lot of meat on the bones in this film in terms of the story. It seems very uh, straightforward yeah. in that you have a mute girl who uh, played by Sally Hawkins, who I think is great. Yeah. And uh, she goes into this, it's during the Cold War, which I think is an interesting sort of setting for the film. And she's working in a laboratory where they have essentially a fish person. And I watched this trailer again and I am I can't, I I guess it's not, but I really... The trailer for All the World does look like an Abe Sapien movie. Yeah, it does. I mean, I'm looking at the design of the creature. It's like, if this isn't, I don't know that maybe he didn't shoot himself in the foot a little bit by making it feel so much like that. Yeah. You know, you've got the rotten eggs. Although, Del Toro is a guy that does repeat himself a lot, even though people don't think so. I mean, uh, I pointed out to somebody once that Blade (laughs) 2 is... Also, Hellboy too. No, no down totally. to the, it totally down is. to the fact that the disgraced prince who's trying to wreak vengeance is
1: played by the same actor in both films. <laughs> that's that's so true. Yeah, that that was my first thought when I saw the creature. I was like, that looks exactly like Abe Sapien. And then you said, yeah, it's played by Doug Jones, who played Abe Sapien in the Hellboy movies. I mean, it's like you said. I, I love I love the setting of it. I, this. You know, my first thought too after that was this is exactly what Universal should have been doing with their monster movies. There's something about this that, you know, it it has that like older feel to it, but it doesn't feel like disingenuous. It feels like of the time, it feels, it's got that like stylish look to it. And I mean, Del Toro understands monsters, he loves monsters, you know, and and what he's doing with this is is bringing in a lot of those seams that the Universal monsters had in a way that is still going to feel somewhat fresh i think too
0: and he's sympathetic to monsters i think which is also notable and and that's the sympathy aspect is what does tie together the uh the universal monsters, I think that makes them pop a little bit. I was listening to somebody recently say, the creature from the Black Lagoon is not sympathetic. He kills people. And, you know, and he he, start, he killed people unprovoked." provoked. And it's, well, if you take Creature from the Black Lagoon as a single film, I guess you could say that. Although, I think the point is the creature is still an animal. Like, right. now in this movie, The Shape of Water... Perhaps he does. I I think they're going to have a hard time selling this if he's only an animal because I'm pretty sure I saw somebody kissing him. (laughs) But uh, I think the idea is that there's more to him and that he has a. uh, that the concept of a soul is not a strictly human concept, uh, at least in this film. And the communication barriers, you know, that she's mute and he's this sort of sea animal. uh, Or he's maybe not a sea animal because they do make reference to the fact that he was worshipped in the Amazon, which kind of does. Tie him almost, uh, almost very specifically to the creature. To the, the creature, Black yeah. I mean, he could be the creature, <laughs> and he was still in the original movie a bit of an animal, meaning that what he was doing was not so much premeditated. You know, he was not yeah. evil; he was simply wild. And but this the sequels to the Creature in Black Lagoon definitely put him in a sympathetic light. I mean, he's taken from where he is, and things happen to him that sort of destroy him you know yeah. uh and not in your classic monster sense but in a more profound sense of of destroying what he is did you see the sequels
1: oh yeah yeah definitely i yeah. enjoyed
0: it. it and it, I, it feels like Toro is honing in on a little bit of that you know that the, the stakes if you understand the other movies is that you know there's real trouble here for the monster
1: yeah yeah and you know, also it's not really so much specific to the movie, but I'm a sucker for a Michael Shannon performance, so I'm excited to see him in a Guillermo del Toro movie.
0: Yeah, it is. You're right. It's always good to see Michael Shannon, and it's kind of it, it's uh, neat that he's in here. So I am looking forward to that that part as well. So there's a lot of stuff coming out. I and mean, we're going to have more trailers, I think, as the weeks come on. Um, specifically, you know. With Comic-Con, you're going to see tons of... There's a Black Panther trailer out now, too. I don't know if you got a chance to check that out. I I was like, oh, there's Andy Serkis. And then, you know (laughs) what? Then we saw special effects. Um, I'm interested, but I I only have a certain level of interest for the Marvel movies these days.
1: It's it's so much of the same thing, repeated in a different version. (laughs) I I think that's why I like so much, like, The Guardians of the Galaxy, because it was such a different movie from just the generic, like plot of a typical superhero film
0: no indeed and i and i will say i really enjoyed i don't know if you've seen it yet i really enjoyed a lot the new uh spider-man movie
1: i haven't seen it yet but i've heard it's pretty good yeah
0: yeah it was good i enjoyed it but again i think part of that is because it it isn't uh coasting on that element of trying to be a Marvel action movie. It in a lot of ways is more a teen college uh teen high school drama. Which is how it should
1: be for Spider Man. Right,
0: right. It's good. I think they nailed it. It's lighter in tone. It doesn't get bogged down in telling us the same backstory we've seen a hundred times. Uh so <laughs> it's really I I liked it a lot. So uh we'll probably do I'm planning to do a kind of review of it in one of the future episodes i was just waiting for everybody else to kind of catch up and and having seen it so lots of good stuff out there and i think now we can go ahead and move into talking about luke basan and valerian and the city of a thousand planets and i'm trying to think of the best way to do this and i still hadn't completely uh reconciled in my mind seth you haven't seen the movie yet so Let's, let's do this. Do you want to talk about Bassan and the Fifth Element first and then Valerian? Sure.
1: We can do that, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, w- I would definitely consider myself a fan of Besson. Um You know, I'd seen like The Professional and stuff like that as a younger person, um, Lafemme Nikita. Um, but then the Fifth Element came out, which I did not actually see in the theater. I, I watched it after it came out I think, on VHS at the time. So I'll date myself a little bit more that way. Um, But as soon as I saw that movie, like, the first time I saw that movie, I kind of fell in love with that movie. Um, There's something so hyper, like, stylistic about that film. It's kind of, it's, it's already kind of got, like, almost like a cult feel to that movie. And it's just, it's light, but it's, like, cool sci-fi. There's cool creatures. I like the characters in the movie. The look of the film is, is gorgeous. You know, everything, even down to just, like, the soundtrack, which was a score that I bought, you know, just because I, I enjoyed it so much in the film. Um,
0: Eric Serra's score is a great score. I, I bought it, too, when it first came out.
1: Yeah, and it's, I, it's, it's a story that's not very... It's not completely original, but the way that it's done is, you know, it really just... I I can't understand people who don't like that movie. There's just so much to enjoy. It's so visually stunning. You know, it's just, and it's a fun movie. That's the thing too. It doesn't get so, it doesn't take itself so seriously that it forgets to be funny or charming. Like there's so much to like within that movie.
0: You're right. And that was 1997 when that movie came out. You're like, like kind of dating yourself just to say that I, uh, that I had just graduated (laughs) high school uh when that that film came out it came out just as i was finishing up and uh it's it also came at a time when science fiction was just just at the tippy toes of stepping its way back into popularity and that meant that a lot of what we'd seen up until that point had devolved the 90s had devolved in some very kind of grim lackluster uh gloom and doom science fiction movies. I mean, you have to know look oh, yeah, forward definitely. and like The Last Bruce and I'm not knocking this movie in any way cuz I think it's also very good and probably part of the move back up for sci-fi, but Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys is the last Bruce Willis science fiction and you look yeah. at that what a what a different definitely. tone there is. Now, it's it's not yeah, fair cuz I love 12 Monkeys, that's a good movie, but I'm thinking, you know, yeah, look at too. movies yeah. like Alien 3 and things like that and uh tons of like really uh grimy in some cases low budget kind of dingy you'd have your occasional terminator 2 james cameron uh throwing something out there but there was really a pretty much a wasteland for a big budget science fiction and then science fiction that took kind of genre seriously that's not safe for them it takes the genre seriously because yeah. it doesn't but we i mean I think here's a good a good comparison point is look at like just two years earlier when the science fiction movies coming out that summer. This is ninety seven for Fifth Element, ninety five we have Johnny Mnemonic, Judge Dredd, and Virtuosity.
1: <laughs> yeah, those are definitely on a different. <laughs> but in a
0: way, they're not because if you look at those three movies, they wanted, they belong in the, the two of the three are cyberpunk. And the other one is based off of a comic book. And they're the they just looking at their design and the money it's expended on them, they want to be big and wild. Uh, Mnemonic is based off a William Gibson book. And it's trying, or or a short story, I should say. And they want to be wild. They want to be crazy. They want to engage your sensibilities. But they just feel so grounded. They feel so um, just like bogged down by their production design oh, and yeah. and it feels like someone's trying to stage manage things here and just very clunky feels Did, have you seen any of those
1: movies i've seen all of them
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm sorry uh is not much to say either way it's a, a denzel washington and russell crowe are really the only reasons that that movie even has a footnote anywhere
1: I sadly have seen Virtuosity probably at least ten times because it was one of those movies that HBO used to play like <laughs> right. every single day. It's pretty bad. It's, it's yeah.
0: Uh, the director Brett Leonard. He's he's it's not a it's not a great director. I think <laughs> if I had to pick a Brett Leonard, movie, oh you don't like the Lawnmower more. Man? <laughs> no. <laughs> Honestly, I would rather watch his take on Dean Koontz's Hideaway, and that's um, yes. mostly be- mostly because Jeff Goldblum is so uh quirky in it you know yes um i actually don't dislike the hideaway movie
1: i don't either no
0: i haven't seen it in a long time it's impossible to to uh to ruin a dean coontz book
1: so uh, you can't make it much worse sorry dean
0: (laughs) it's not fair Uh, maybe it's a little fair it's a little fair yeah, but in those movies were so bogged down. Judge Dredd has a scene of Stallone on a giant like flying motorcycle zooming through city that is literally some of the sets that were used in Ridley Scott's uh, Blade Runner, and yet there's no joy in it whatsoever. No. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I saw the trailers for Judge Dredd, and I got excited because like, look at the production design, look at the same thing with Johnny Monick, oh, that, that harkens back to Gilliam, you know? and i went and sat and all, through all these movies and i was just it was a waste of time they were they were junk and they didn't have interesting characters so to see the fifth element which i remember seeing the trailers at like when the super bowl that year and they had the trailers for that and men in black and it was clear that they were trying to take a lighter tone to sci-fi for a little yeah. bit there you know and and it worked in both of those cases i i really like both those movies i like fifth element a lot more than i like Men in Black, I think, because yeah. it's quirky or it's stranger. I didn't know what to expect. I did see it in theaters, and I actually wish I'd seen it more than once, because it's a kind of movie that's a lot to take in. And There's so in,
1: much going on in it, <laughs> yeah.
0: In 97, in, in high school, it was just, coming out of high school, it was just the point where I was starting to get kind of serious, and that also means for a teenager pretentious about <laughs> about film, you know, you really like what you like, and not it's not just as you like what you like, it's really not that at all. It's that you like what, what is good and worthwhile and everybody else you know if their tastes are different well that's crap <laughs> and you know you're at that point where you realize you're not saying hey this is a movie i really like this is a great film you know
1: <laughs> and so i was
0: just discovering uh some of the stuff honestly i had never seen some movies i'd seen bits of them but i'd never seen things like blade runner and a uh, racer head and a clockwork arm so i was discovering a lot of this stuff i'd seen pieces but i'd never seen the full things or or had engaged with them in that way and and discovering the works of like kurosawa and stuff like that so i was hitting like right. blockbuster and renting you know uh that's funny because blockbuster the only place you could get a movie that had subtitles on it yeah. everything else was dubbed it was so you were like you know actually felt like you had a treasure if you Got a chance to read the movie. I remember kind yeah. of to, to watch Ang Lee's Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, and they were ta- the subtitles were going so fast that like I had to rewind it like six times. But you know, at this so at this point I'm watching all this stuff, and then here comes the Fifth Element, and it's right before the Lost World, the Jurassic mm-hmm. Park movie, and I didn't see anything I liked as much that whole summer as the Fifth Element because it was just a wild ride from beginning to end, and every little piece of the movie has been considered. Like Bassan's not like phoning it in it all. He's no. paying attention to all the details of his world. This world is like the Jetsons. Like yeah. it's at that level. Or it's like Valerian and Laureline, which we had been around for a while. And between this, this is Pierre Christian's like uh, graphic novel series and Anki uh, Bial did the um I'm trying to remember the the series of comics that he did. They're clearly kind of a combination of both of those. They did a, a not very good foreign film based off of his called immortel about like 2004 and it was it was very wonky but these these two sources he which is really where lucas i mean i feel like lucas of star wars draws a lot on valerian yeah and uh and it's hard to get away from that and the valerian comics though had a very kind of episodic feel that's something we'll talk about when we talk about the new movie and and an incidental like they were like comic strip worthy, you know, the heroes are not very complex, the villains are not very complex. What's happening in those movies isn't complex. But it was just such a feast for the eyes looking at each comic panel and seeing the all the different creatures and all the different technologies that are there. But what comes across to me in the fifth element is like you have these amazing sets, but every single piece of the film feels like it belongs to itself. Yes. I know it's
1: a weird thing to say, but It's a completely realized world.
0: It's not trying to race along to the next thing. The movie opens in Egypt. It puts Luke Perry's name in the credits, even though he really has a very small role. But in a way, he's almost in his own short film. That involves these uh, these archaeologists who come across this thing, and it's so funny because the story is so lame. Like it's a story, just the story itself. It's something that it's not surprising to hear that a twelve-year that he went back and was revising a script he wrote when he was twelve years old yeah. uh, and that's that's what he said and it's like basically it's ball of evils coming to earth and hot chicken and bandages <laughs> and and crazy cab driver who used to be a military dude have to stop it like throw out throwing in Chris Tucker in a dress and that's your movie really yeah. um so the story is a name i mean it's like almost like Captain Planet you know the four elements the, yes. there's the four elements around the fifth element and yet. From the beginning when the giant, like, upside-down ice cream cone descends from the sky yeah. in Egypt and the Mondo which look like giant pineapples, sort of, you know, like, <laughs> they're uh, lolling from side to side. They're goofy aliens. The minute you see them, you can't really take them seriously, but they're so fascinating to look at. And, like, yeah. he's got the water dripping off of them as they step into the... Into the uh, inside the pyramid and yeah. Sarah's sound design which sounds like all these alien sounds that sort of come out of the spaceship and then fill the pyramid it's just neat like you were yeah. really immersed into it and this isn't a lot of fancy filmmaking it's just a lot of detail a lot of craft has been spent I mean this is where the production design really takes off and the thing about the fifth film is no sooner are you in that than boom you're like 300 years in the future. Debo from Friday is now the president of like the Federated Galaxies or something like that. Here's tiny Lister and he is, he's trying man. You get him? He's trying, but like, yeah, I don't even know what Basson's thinking in that moment. Like, no. I mean, he says things that at the time I would have not considered very presidential, but in today, right now, I think they're, <laughs> they're far more presidential than other things I've seen. And, you know, when he's saying things like, give it here. <laughs> and what is the problem? And he's sort of like he's sees this big dude behind a little desk, and it's almost like a sight gag. And then Ian, the fact that Ian Holm comes up and he is this you know this sort of priestly character, it's all very strange and wacky. Yeah. And you're just getting all these faces that you recognize from all over the place. And there's there's John Neville that you know Baron yeah. Munchausen, Baron Munchausen yeah. and and it's like he's on the spaceship, and there there's a giant flaming ball of death headed towards earth and we could go on and on you know point by point but i think the thing is is the movie never slows down it has such a momentum and i do love the characters i was a little surprised by that like the the beginning of this movie when they introduce the fifth element herself which it's not i mean that's not a big (laughs) plus let's see spoilers with this thing who cares movie is (laughs) is like you should have seen it by now right i mean it's close to uh 20 years it? old 20 years old yeah it is 20 years old at this point point. and uh, exactly uh, exactly and Mia Jovovich like uh yeah she's not given much of a performance per se but she's engaged in what she's doing and I, I remember reading something that like Basson, who went on to and did he they got married didn't they I know he they definitely did. had like a relationship with her yeah and it's a little it's a little strange because apparently he and she started like talking in this little language that he had written for her, which which the language is pretty cute. It's pretty funny. It yeah. like I still to this day I go around saying things like Bada Boom and multi <laughs> Multipass. From time to people lie, yes. Uh which is interesting because one of the one of the races in his new movie speak that old language again. He's like, well we have this <laughs> sitting around, let's go for it. Um uh, but um, you don't get any bada booms. But, in, you know, I heard that he had kind of written this and then he and she would just talk in a language. I was like, well, man, that is, you know, if you want to make a move on a chick and you're on a film set, make it, make it so that you and she are the only one talking in the same language. <laughs> Look, I wrote a language for you, baby. Uh, that may not be fair. It might be, I don't know. But you move from her being kind of reconnected from just a hand. <laughs> of, right. of what looks like one of the A pineapple metallic. monsters. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. This is the Mondo Shiwan. That's before the like crazy dog men show up and shoot the Mondo Shiwan <laughs> out of the air. And so they bring her into this revitalizing tank where it basically rebuilds her from that one little piece of DNA. And you see them laying the bones down like they're little individual chips. You know? It's like... <laughs> do, 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 do. And then the stringing the, stringing the sinew <laughs> and the meat across... <laughs> And it, But you're in it, you know, you're into it in that moment, what's going on, again, the sound design, and then you have, and, and again, he's just referencing all these little things, you're seeing all these people that you recognize, and um, you have, uh, oh man, the actor, Brian James from Blade Runner. Oh, who, yeah. you know, he shows up as a general there. I think this is honestly one of the last movies Brian James did before he passes away, which is interesting because they have Brian James in the early scenes of this movie, and they have Rucker Hauer in the early scenes of Valerian. So oh my gosh. you kind of... And looking a little... I was like, is that eyeliner you're wearing, Rucker Hauer? <laughs> but um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of neat because I think he is making some of those... It's a throwaway Blade Runner reference in a way. Right. But it's also a chance to give a guy who... You know, Brian James has his moments. He's, didn't get to, he's not been in a lot of movies. It was kind of fun to see him in there and have a, I mean, what amounts to a semi-substantial role in a movie like The Fifth Element, which means he gets more than three scenes to his name. <laughs> and
1: I loved him in Cabin Boy.
0: <laughs> we could do a whole podcast on Cabin Boy. I like Cabin Boy. Perhaps we shouldn't. Cabin Boy's <laughs> a weird movie. It's a very strange movie. It's. I don't, it's halfway on its way to being like, it's somewhere in between Eric the Viking and *Ventures of Baron Munchausen but it's I don't know if it occupies a. I never can tell from one moment to the next whether I hate it or love it but (laughs) Cabin Boy's a a, a, a movie for a different day there's too much here already and then you start getting into the story and the interesting thing is it completely subverts the idea of this being a Bruce Willis action movie which is what it's being sold as and Willis doesn't show like Willis is peripheral but he doesn't show up for a good bit of the film really. Yeah. I mean about a good 20 minutes go by and then you get this really elaborate ch- car chase through the city when the fifth element when Lilu falls into his cabin he's like and her name is very complex. He's like oh yeah. blah, 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 blah. that whole thing's your name, huh? <laughs> and uh and then you get this chasing, which is a lot of fun. And again, the musical numbers and the musical chases, and we see that McDonald's is alive and well, you yeah. know, hundreds of years into the future. And uh, and and strangely, um, skimpy outfits. It's like Hooters and McDonald's have yeah. merged into one entity. <laughs> I guess that's the McDonald's of future France. But yeah. well, I mean, but he's in, there in New York, so it's our, I think they're in New York. Yeah. But uh, the movie just it won't stop, and it's each piece. You're still sitting there reeling from the Egyptian thing, and now we've seen uh, Mia Yovovich reconnected with tissues, and then you know it's to the point where her hair comes out and it's like it's got like blonde roots, but it's like yeah. uh, like hot red, yeah. and uh, and she's wearing what looks like giant like bandages.
1: <laughs> no, that's not fair. She is wearing giant bandages. Yeah. It's it's funny like there's so much to talk about with this movie. We haven't even mentioned Gary Oldman with probably the world's most popular hairstyle of the current time <laughs> right now. Which is like it
0: looks like he's wearing like I, I, it, it's so bizarre. It looks like they took the end of like uh i don't know, like a um riding crop and like attached it onto like a like a funnel. <laughs> And we're like, wear this on your head, and and he's got buck teeth. He's like, at the time, this this comparison would have made sense. He's like Ross Perot meets Darth Vader. (laughs) Like it's so, it's such a strange like performance. And he's he's like a an, uh, egomaniacal, uh, I don't know what what you say like an. Uh, giant uh, evil CEO kind of guy, you know. yeah, yeah, Um, definitely. And uh, what is it, John Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg or something like that. And he runs these corporations. And, you know, in the beginning, he's uh, fire one million people. Of course, we see down the road that Bruce Willis gets fired because of that. And, again, the egomania has kind of led into the fact that I'm not sure for what reason, but he has aligned himself with the giant ball of death. <laughs> and he wants to help it destroy Earth for money. And I'm like, maybe that's not a great deal. You seem to have a good bit of money. You're expending a lot of money to get this done. I don't think the death planet has your best wishes, wishes at heart here. So, you know. So, it's a, it's it's a, it's still a message for our times. Let's do death
1: ball with Putin. But... Yeah. uh it's just i I don't know there's there's something like this is this kind of sci-fi world like i would want to live in you know there's it just like you said he made there's so much detail to this world like just down to like the silly things like the creature that lives under his desk or like the thing that like sweeps up for him and you know the the weird like boglin looking things that are like hiding in the plane you know to like just chris tucker as ruby rod this weird like vj dj kind of guy
0: who if you sit down and watch this movie without any back understanding of what it is you don't know any of this is coming the movie doesn't telegraph a single thing no you You don't even see him until like like three quarters of the way through the movie who's this uh chris tucker yeah ruby rod he comes and he literally just barges in like he like physically barges in into one scene knocks a girl out of the way and there he is and he just doesn't go away for the rest of the movie and he's just integrated in just so uh it's smoothly in some ways but for for that kind of a thing but there's scenes you know again like i say each scene to itself what you just described with uh the little creature the little like Technicolor elephant or whatever that's under... uh, And it's such a colorful and it's a cute little monster, but it doesn't kind of overstay its welcome. You know, it kind of comes out... And it's part of a scene that's actually an interesting scene to put in a movie that is moving this quickly. And I this like is where a lot, yeah. This is one of the things that, like, when The Fifth Element came out and everyone was like, oh, it's just so goofy and it's so over the top. And for many years I questioned, like, why do I love this movie? Is it really that good or is it just a bunch of silly things? And I was a 17-, yeah, 18-year-old kid and I loved it, you know, because of that. And yet I think it, like, and particularly when you compare it to Valerian, that's not to say like, not like Valerian, there's... There is a skill and a deft hand to being able to handle this stuff in the right way. Yeah. There is a right and a wrong way to handle this. And Bassan, at least in The Fifth Element, he's very dexterous with the way he manages these pieces. Because we criticize, I'll be honest, I sometimes criticize Michael Bay for doing the same basic I, thing that Bassan does. Yeah. Which is overindulgence, going for broke... Hitting the lowest common denominator in goofiness, not caring about sophistication, caring about as loud and as hyper and as crazy as I can make things. But I think in their execution they're very,
1: very different filmmakers. Yeah. Yeah. Well I think Besson has a soul.
0: <laughs> but I mean but I mean honestly, like if you get down to it and you want to be play fair as fair. Like, they both have their own specific style. They they stay within the bubble of that style. Oh, that style sometimes runs roughshod over everything else in the movie, acting and everything else, you know. And and at the time this movie came out, it's interesting, because uh, Basan gets to make the first Bruce Willis versus a Flaming Ball of Death movie. And the next summer, Michael <laughs> yeah. Bay gets to make the second. It's Michael Bay. And it's funny, because I saw the trailer for Armageddon, and this is before. I mean, honestly, I had liked... I thought Bad Boys was a mediocre action film. But I had liked um, The Rock. I thought The Rock was a, a decent yeah, action. Yeah, I but like not, The Rock not, too. Not great, but good. And so I watched Armageddon. I was like, I'm watching all this structure. It's Bruce Willis versus a giant flaming ball of doom. But I can't imagine how I'm going to like this as much as I liked The, the Fifth Element. And I think that the, the bottom line is there's so much more going on. And The Fifth Element has a very, uh, it has a handle on its tone. And yeah. Bassan seems to be making movies for himself more than anyone else, which is actually a hallmark of, of directors I really like. We've spent lots of time talking about Lynch. Lynch makes movies for himself first and foremost. Yeah, he cares secondarily about. I mean, I think he you think he's Bassan's very generous, and he wants to give the audience as much as as much as they can take. But he's counting on them to be interested in the same things he's interested in yeah and in some cases because he he's pulling from these sort of comics and these things that have inspired so much he does have uh, i think he gets away with it particularly in the fifth element and and, and he he does manage a lot of strange things that most people wouldn't even think to put together um yeah i remember them calling this movie the star wars of the 90s in a way it kind of matched because it was so adhd and so uh so driven and so um just scattershot but at the same time being scattershot so fastidious like that scene we talked about when ian holm comes into zorg's office he's coming to argue with him and he's really trying to plead his case that no why are you uh, lying yourself with this world-destroying force and they have a conversation about it and, you know, he chokes on a cherry, Holmes saves him, yeah. he spares Holmes' life. The, this, this scene advances the plot itself in no yeah. no discernible way. And in the just in there. the middle of a big juggernaut sci-fi movie, it clearly exists just for itself. But that's what makes the movie good. Like, you can go back to yeah. and hold on to that scene. Jovovich, when she's trying to learn the language and she's absorbing all the information off of the internet and you know you've got the young guy there the young priest and and uh Holmes character Vito Cornelius and they're they're sitting there and she's microwave well, it's not a microwave but it's like a oven that kind of takes powder and just reconstitutes it into full meals so she'll throw like a couple of things into a bowl and there's a giant turkey <laughs> yeah yeah she'll carrying it over the thing and you got to give it probably wasn't fair to Jovovich saying, oh, she's just looking pretty. She's not acting. She gives a fun, likable, endearing performance. I mean, yeah. it's goofy and it's strange. It's playful. But there's a little bit more to it than just looking cute. She does a lot of weird things with her head and her movements. Like yeah. when she, in the beginning, she's stalking back and forth like a panther sort of inside yeah. the tube. And she follows Brian James with her, face, with her eyes and her head turns just like a bird. And, <laughs> uh that's the first phase and then when she meets willis and the human character she kind of starts to she's fish out of water and she's trying to learn who she is and that's where all the bada booms and the multi-pass come <laughs> in and i like willis in the movie too he's kind like of detached lot, yeah. from everything it's it there's acting going on there too and this was that phase where i think willis he had this same year he did a movie called the jackal which i thought was horrible and he did like mercury rising and he had another couple he did he did two or three movies there that i thought were just bottom of the barrel for him but
1: then you had like the fifth element it was like which is funny too because doesn't he he never runs into zorg in the entire movie i think the only one of like the main characters of the good guys who runs into him is um ian holmes character
0: well that's an interesting thing oldman in leon the professional which is also basson's movie is a bad guy and in some similar ways it's like basson isn't really big on the good guy and the bad guy butting showdown. heads, having showdowns. I'm trying to think really of a movie where you've of Basson's where you see that happen. It's interesting to think, but he's not big on that. He's not big on good guy is headed for bad guy and we're going to have a punch out or something. I yeah. don't know that he's done that in any of his movies. Um, and they're just very strange in their structures, but this one, if any of them, seem to be headed that way. At least have a humorous showdown because you almost expect Willis to meet Zorg and be like, "Hey, you're the guy that fired me." You know, yeah, you're you're aligned with the Ball of Death, but you're sure. right. There's there's even a scene where he specifically underscores the fact that this, that uh, Willis is headed one way and Zorg is headed the other way, and yet you still get these really good payoffs to things, uh, in again in structured sequences that are kind of amazing. Like, to me, a standout, like, scene, take your breath away, one of my favorite scenes in movies, period, is halfway through the film, they are on the giant, like, uh, floating cruise ship that's headed to Flost in Paradise. In, yeah, yeah. Flost in Paradise. And, the, uh, and they go to a concert where they have the diva Plava Laguna is doing her performance, and... And that whole scene stops and slows down, initially slows down, yeah. to you're watching her deliver this performance in the middle of this big sci-fi movie, where at this point you're sitting there thinking, where are the spaceships and where are the... Not You're not really longing for them, but you're kind of thinking on here, we're like well into this film, <laughs> yeah. and this movie's still following its own internal rhythms. I mean, we, you know, and she starts singing, and that's a beautifully constructed piece of music. Oh, too. yeah, it is. I um, will yeah. actually put a link to it in the show notes because it's just so cool. And they've got, uh, they've actually had opera singers attempting to sing it, <laughs> and uh, it's pretty, it's pretty neat, and it's pretty impressive on its own terms. But then you've got a scene that, to me, is as good as anything. That you have, you know, at, at this time point, at this point in time, ninety seven, there's a lot of a uh, love out there for Tarantino and the way he edits things together, and other filmmakers of his ilk, you know. And I think that there's some really strong quality editing in the way uh, Besson moves between this performance and an attack where where Zorg, Well, the so we've got Zorg on one hand. And we have the Mangalores, which are the dog soldiers, the literal dog yeah. soldiers, coming in to ambush him. So you've got a, kind of a double-double cross there. And they're they're trying to take the stones. And while that's happening, Lelu just bursts out into this martial arts combat thing that's just clear she's learned from Bruce Lee from watching the internet. And it's a ridiculous scene, but it's choreographed to match up with the opera singing at the same time.
1: Yeah, I love that scene.
0: Yeah, it's just so it's just off the wall, but it kind of captures what you feel like when you're reading a comic book. To yeah, me, you know, and it, to me, in a lot of ways, it hasn't been. Met. It's it's uh, it's tempo and its pacing and the way it approaches things. I don't think have really been matched in comic book filmmaking we've seen since. Like, no. I cannot think of many movies that give me that same rush I can say, like, that's like a comic book. Like, yeah. I can say this has comic book-like tendencies or style, but that, to me, was that same kind of rush I remember when you really would get a fun, like, out-there comic book that you couldn't put down. Yeah, uh definitely. A feeling I really had since a kid. So that movie monopolizes on that. As the movie gets towards the end, I have to say, it gets sillier and sillier and, like... <laughs> We're going to stop the giant planet of of death with the power of love. And it's in almost the most basic way possible. So even even the first time seeing the movie and watching it wrap up, I'm like, they're wrapping it up like this. (laughs) But I had enjoyed the ride so much, it just kind of carries you on through the movie.
1: Yeah.
0: And, uh, yeah the the fact that he never fights Zorg is fine, but they kind of just get to this point where it's like, well, what else can you do? You gotta assemble the stones and save the fifth element. But it has such charm, and again, it has such a good nature that, like, I didn't, I didn't really care by that point. I had been kind of stuffed full of so much stuff that there wasn't anything else I really wanted to see. I was like, well, you've got, you know, you probably gave me my money's worth about an hour ago, (laughs) and uh, so it's hard to criticize it too much. And again, like you said, the score is fantastic. So I, I love the fifth element. I it's probably, it's probably my favorite besson movie. Even though there, are, there, are, I think there's some that are maybe a little more skillful. Um, and I think the reason the reasons we talk so long about this particular one is it does have such a tie to Valerian.
1: I would say you know I, I really think that you know. The Fifth Element should be considered one of the classics of the genre. Um, I think it's gotten some more love over the past couple years as people are starting to kind of maybe rediscover the film. But I definitely, you know, highly recommend it. If you haven't seen it yet, definitely search it out. Um, But talking a little bit more, too, about uh, Besson's career itself. Um, Now, there's there's some of his stuff I've not really been a huge fan of. Um, What was the one with Paris... The Paris movie with um, uh, John Travolta. I wasn't a huge fan of that one. Oh, uh, did, he, did he direct that? I, I believe so, yeah.
0: Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, that was not very good. No.
1: Um, but I would definitely suggest... I kind of liked um, Angela A. I, I, have you seen that one?
0: Yeah, I, yeah, Angel A. It was like Angela. Angel a. Yeah, Angel a, yeah, he's kind of been hit or miss Like in more recent times. I saw... Some of his French things were just way out there, and some of them honestly are just about like, I mean, some of them are kind of junky. Uh, He did a whole series of kids movies, um,
1: Arthur and the Invisibles. Arthur and the
0: Invisibles, which wasn't—they weren't really, to be fair, they weren't really all that great. Yeah, he did one that I really, uh, again, based off a French comic book that I that I enjoyed to a level, but it was very schizophrenic. It was called The Adventures of Adele Blanc-Sec*. Did you see that?
1: I, didn't have, I, I saw the trailers for it. I never got around to seeing the movie itself. Oh, it was
0: a movie that combined mummies and pterodactyls. And, yeah, it and, looked uh, crazy. I mean, it was crazy visually. It was beautiful to look at. It had almost no handle or restraint on its story whatsoever. And uh, so you had those. But the professional... Uh, Subway Subway's a weird movie. Have you seen that with no, with I um seen that. Christopher Lambert and Isabella Rossellini? <laughs> it's super weird. I think we should track that 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 should be like one of our like retro movie night kind of deals because oh my God, I'm looking strange... at the cover of it now. It looks it's really strange. weird, right? <laughs> right. That's a very it's a very strange movie. Uh the uh, the big blue which uh, I think had um well, an an actor that he's worked with often is Jean Renault, who was in yeah
1: that's who was right. the primary
0: actor in in uh Leon. and I, of course I saw it as a professional here that natalie portman gary oldman it's a good it's yeah. a really good movie too La Femme good. Nikita, of course which is pretty pretty good the uh the actual French version and there's a, a taxi he's responsible for the taxi movies which was remade over here with uh um oh goodness queen latifah and oh, wait, uh, wait really what i did not know that <laughs> yes the original not he didn't do that movie that was jimmy um fallon and oh. queen latifah <laughs> and, but that was a remake of a luke Besson movie okay taxi Whew, i almost had a heart attack up. there <laughs> <laughs> no no he did not direct that uh but he did direct that movie the family uh, messenger a few years did ago you see with, that one which one
1: the Messenger, the Joan of Arc movie, did you see that? I
0: did. I that wasn't. I I was really excited about that because I've been such a huge fan of the Fifth Element. Yeah. And I and I'm a huge fan of the Passion of Joan of Arc. Yeah. Which is an old silent film, which oh, you yeah, seemed to great. be uh, referencing when he made this. Have you seen it? I saw it, I saw
1: it. I saw when it came out. I haven't seen it since. So. It's a
0: little, it, It's a weird movie because he can't quite get away from the silliness. Yeah. Like not it's not silly funny silly, but you can't get away from that kind of schlockiness which doesn't quite fit with Joan of Arc and it gets real weird. He tries ambitious things. Dustin Hoffman shows up as like like Joan's delusion of God and, <laughs> which is such a weird thing. But he's like the Inquisitor and he's in, and it it's it takes itself a hundred and ten percent seriously. I mean Yeah, that's I, what I definitely remember that about. You know, Malkovich is the DeFon and like it just goes on and on and it's such a weird film uh they've got vincent cassell in there as sort of her uh one of her right hand men and it's a it's an interesting movie it's kind of a hot mess but it was kind of an interesting movie i think
1: it seems like he's he's written a lot more or came up with ideas for a lot more than he's actually directed a lot of stuff that people have definitely heard of like taken and stuff like that he's he's had a yeah he's
0: become a big producer in his own right but it's interesting to see that and seth i know you have to go uh, and I, I'll give us a, just a very basic. Do um, you have time, maybe for a basic overview? Oh yeah, Valerian sure. five ten. So with Valerian, we'll probably do. Um, I think Chris and I will do a more in depth review. But to bring it to that, this is a movie that is in all ways. He's trying to channel. I want to say he's trying to channel Fifth Element. He's clearly trying to channel the comics this is based off of. It's huge. The budget's much bigger. It's been so many years later. One of the difficulties with something like this is you now have a movie that has inspired and influenced a ton of things. Guardians of the Galaxy notwithstanding, you know. Yes, that's based off of Marvel's universe, but you can't say watching, the, watching Guardians of the Galaxy, you didn't have some Fifth Element kind of vibes.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And, and and Valerian vibes. You've got this big world filled and populated with aliens. And so we've just had the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie. So it's hard, I think, it's gonna be hard for this movie to find its audience. I think. Yeah, it because... seems like it's gonna have
1: the John Carter of Mars syndrome.
0: <laughs> Which is not a movie I actually hated either. A lot of people really disliked it. I didn't I mean I didn't think it was great, but I thought it was okay. Did you see yeah. John Carter?
1: Yeah, I saw that i didn't i didn't hate it either but it's 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 a problem where it's because it's influenced so much people now who are watching it be like i've seen this story before or i've seen these images before
0: and besan doesn't do a lot to move away from that the other big thing i think that he's competing with given his style and given the tools that are available to him are video games video games were in a very different place in 1997 than they are now you know uh, Besson, I don't know if he's if he's produced any video games, but I he'd be perfect for it because he thinks in these weird, crazy ideas that are very good at being visualized, and they're kind of visceral.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, th- my my biggest fear was with this is like you said you, you mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy like it feels like it's trying to bank off the success of that because it's it's tonally kind of in the same realm but at the same time like I don't know I, I don't know how many people actually have heard of this before or are interested in something with the cast that's in here and I think you know we'll
0: find I, mean. very, I think we'll find that out very soon Dane DeHaan has been now two of the strangest and yeah. two of the strangest and yet best looking movies with two of the most out-there, all-over-the-place scripts of the of this past year, and one of those was The Cure for Wellness, and one was Valerian and The City of a Thousand Plants. And I can say that I actually much preferred Valerian. This movie's crazy. It's off-the-wall. It is jam-packed with as much stuff as you could get in this. This is very much the Fifth Element kind of movie you're getting after Avatar. And yet, for all of the way that Cameron manages all those things and, and all his special effects, he's very serious and fastidious about it, but someone's just a kid in a in a sandbox playing with his toys really yeah. and That's that comes through like... it's way it's overstuffed it's stuffed to the point the plot barely matters my biggest issue with this movie is that Dane DeHaan uh doesn't really feel like a valerian to me this is supposed to be a guy who's kind of this hotshot agent military uh, warrior ladies man dane dehaan doesn't strike me as any of those things and yet that maybe works because this is a 12-year-old kid's fantasy. And Dane DeHaan kind of strikes me as like a high school kid. Like, it's almost as if you had, you visually put the kid who's imagining himself as as the Bruce Willis character up on screen looking the way he normally does. (laughs) So we're watching Claire uh, Claire Delvini talk to him about all these things. And they don't, neither one of them seem like adults. They're two kids stuck in the middle of this giant galactic thing. And yet there's more story here than there is in The Fifth Element. Uh, The opening scene's kind of amazing because you have David Bowie's Space Oddity playing and you're watching from our current kind of time frame to the present of this film, which is about 400 years later. He likes to jump on centuries when he's doing <laughs> yeah. these movies. You watch a space station where he, different different uh, groups of people, different nationalities of people are meeting each other on the space station and greeting them, and it's it's a very optimistic thought in our current yeah. day and age to see the the Russians and the Chinese shaking hands, and yet as this thing happens, and you see decades go by, we see the same people greeting them as they get older, and eventually we've got the point where we're no longer watching the human races interact. We're watching the aliens come, and as the alien, as different species come into the this space station, they start to build on and build on and build on, and we watch the city being built over centuries while the David Bowie song plays. So uh, you, I cool. mean, right off the bat, you can see you're in this the hands of this assured person, and you get these action scenes that they're just a little too much. The visuals are definitely the point where they look a little artificial, you know. Uh, yeah. But we've got John Goodman as a giant alien trader beast, you know, and uh, you've got a whole world that you can only, it exists in another dimension, and you can only see it if you put on glasses. So you're in a giant desert and you're walking around, but there's a giant market all around you. Uh, great stuff like that, giant creatures under the ocean. And yet, about 30 or 40 minutes in, this thing kind of stalls out uh it, it, for me as i was watching it it did and it hit this point where i was like oh these action, these special effects flying s- scenes they're just not quite cutting it i've i've lost the story and i was starting to feel a little disheartened i was getting that jupiter ascending vibe which is a movie i wanted to like but just kind of hated and you're just about the 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 chemistry between the two leads isn't quite cutting it and i honestly started to get a little restless and i was thinking man I think they've lost us. Clive Owen is starting to come into the picture, and you're getting a little bit of intrigue. But I'm like, the story's not interesting me. And then, like next scene, he snaps back into it, and he starts to follow almost the template that he laid down in Fifth Element. And if if we're looking at that this way, it's strange when I when the two actors that come into this movie, with well, a the Chris Tucker style character, is played by Ethan Hawke, <laughs> which you have to see to believe, and the the sort of diva character, and actually, it, it's probably more like the diva character and the Chris Tucker character have been combined into one in the person of Rihanna, who is playing a shape-shifting burlesque dancer. <laughs> and in place of that big musical number, you have a dance sequence, which is, which is to be fair, it's not very, it's not very risque. In fact, this whole movie. It's PG thirteen, but it's a soft PG thirteen. Uh, okay. I mean, it's a very gentle science fiction movie. In a kind of movie that, if you're going to let kids watch, again, the biggest thing here is the the Rihanna dance sequence, and this is more about what you know, uh, acrobatics. It's a little more Cirque du Soleil than it is, you know, <laughs> showgirls. Yeah. So, uh, and her character is legitimately interesting. I really like her. She she lightens up the movie she 's interesting she 's kind of cool and she 's weird and kooky in all the ways and then the the action set piece that follows this where this the al- group of aliens has abducted uh Laureline and they want to take her to their leader and there seems to be possibly a wedding going on, but we 're not sure what's happening it's completely silly but it's it's awesome in the same way the fifth element is awesome you know you're and and the, i can 't even or want to describe the things that happen because they kind of are best to be discovered. And at this point, the movie is developing a story that's a little bit more complex and a little more sophisticated than The Fifth Element. And in his own heavy-handed, naive way, I think Besson is trying to make a movie about something. It's way silly. It is, it's, it's a 137-minute Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> and it's got its flaws. I didn't love every single minute of it, but I just walked out of it in almost the same way from the fifth element of just being like, wow, I have to say, you know, he worked hard to entertain me and I was yeah. entertained. And sometimes that's all you want and all you need. And I can see myself going back to it just to see some of the stuff that's in the corners and in the bits here. You're not going to be bowled over by the story. You may not be won over by all the performances, but you have to give him credit. He gives you a wild ride.
1: Yeah. Now, how do you think this is going to do box office-wise?
0: It's hard to say. I don't think it's going to do well because you got a couple problems here. One is the movies this summer have largely been actually pretty decent uh, in terms of summer movies aiming for their audience, which is to yeah. say right now you have War of the Planet of the Apes out. Uh, you have Spider-Man out. They're both strong movies, and they're both building strong franchises, and they were already... They already were licensed to print money even before you took into the account their quality, yeah, and the and the and the franchises they're built into, and then you've got Dunkirk also coming out the same weekend, which I haven't talked about here, but is actually a very good movie. And here's the other thing about Dunkirk: it's ninety minutes long,
1: uh, <laughs> which it's, is crazy it's, for Nolan.
0: Yeah, well, he's really Nolan. Nolan was really in command of his stuff on this one. I think that's just me throwing that out there. I mean, he did some interesting stuff. I, I, I feel like he streamlined a lot of what he was doing here. Besson has no interest in streamlining. He's going to give you everything because he makes a movie like he's never going to make another movie again. <laughs> and I like that about it. I don't think I don't think it's going to pan out that well over here. I don't know how it's going to do. But I, but this is also here's the thing: Fifth Element was not a huge hit when it came out, but fifth element does have a a cult following now yeah the other thing is this feels so much like the fifth element. I do have to wonder there was a decent audience last night, and they seemed to all really enjoy it, but I do think it could get lost there's just too much stuff yeah there's too much stuff coming out but if if you if I had to bank on something i would i put i would be more likely to see Valerian succeed than um the dark tower i'm not saying i want that but i you know i'm more concerned about that movie maybe than this one yeah. this one will probably make its money back in france i mean yeah, probably. It's, it's it's probably too expensive a, a kind of thing to try every time but i would i again putting all that money up on screen means you see you, you did it it's out there he his goal was to make a valerian movie he finally got it made it almost doesn't matter whether it, it's not going to do cameron level business which in a little bit's kind of weird because I don't know how you feel about James Cameron or modern-day James Cameron, but I like Besson's movies better.
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that, with the, with the newer Cameron stuff. Like, I yeah, have no, yeah. no real desire to see another Avatar
0: movie. Right. Well, when Titanic and Fifth Element came out, Fifth Element was the movie I wanted to go back to the theater to see, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I would recommend this. I think it's a... And it is a movie. Parents, if you're looking at the eight to nine range... The, again i mentioned dancing but the, the world of of valerian it, ha- it it it's playful it's not even as sort of risque as the chris tucker character was in the fifth element which i also thought was relatively mild yeah you yeah. know all things being said and there was in the, even the fifth element had a little bit of like partial nudity and this movie really moves away from a lot of that it has some interesting interesting ideas and interesting things to say and it's just a goofy good time and the violent i think well, for me sometimes it's the violence that I that I that are am really objecting to uh, and the way it's handled and this is not a dark film and there's we're not talking about movies where thousands of people are being you know gunned down or anything like that
1: yeah well it sounds well that's actually piqued my interest more in the movie
0: yeah, now you might be horribly disappointed. I tend to be that guy, though, that likes those really visual movies. I mean, a few years ago, I was like, hey, guys, go see Cloud Atlas, and people are like, what is that? It's already at the t- discount theater. Uh, so keep that in mind. I liked Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, so uh, do with that what you will. All right, everyone, good night, and we will see you again soon on the Phantom Galaxy. Take care. Thanks, Seth. Thanks, Nathan.